So I think there is a, a, a place to be integrating, like how mentally tough do I need to be for my circumstances? Because I think there's a real beauty to people who are very mentally sensitive. The Strive for More podcast will resonate with those that strive for more in any aspect of their lives. Follow along on one man's journey on the path to a meaningful life through long-form interviews with everyone from successful entrepreneurs, artists, physicians, leading scientists, social media influencers, and professional athletes. This episode of the Strive for More podcast is brought to you by the Strive Accelerator, which is a weekly mastermind group for entrepreneurs. So if you're not seeing the success you want, or you're searching for a community of like-minded business owners, then send an email to jared at striveaccelerator.ca to book a call and learn more. Our next guest is Cleo's in-house performance coach, helping Cleons identify, plan, and act on ways to improve and sustain performance over time. After 20 years in industry and a variety of HR and organizational development consulting roles, this guest jumped at the chance to work exclusively with Cleo's teams and leaders to test her capacity as a coach. Drawing from her deep dives in performance psychology, brain science, motivation, emotional intelligence, and organizational dynamics... She asks her clients to become scientists of themselves, using humor, good questions, and a keen interest in seeing her clients reach both personal and organizational goals. She pushes for self-mastery. Please welcome to the show, Katie Weika. Well, Katie, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, too. I look forward to nerding out on all things <laughs> coaching-related with you. Beware. We've got some nerding out for the next hour, folks. And we're going to talk a lot about emotional intelligence. We're going to talk about mental toughness and hopefully go down the path of coaching as well. I want to start with emotional intelligence, though. And I think that it's one of those terms that is kind of vague. And uh, I just I'm hoping to get maybe some definitions around it. Do you mind starting off with what is it for those folks that may not know? Sure. So emotional intelligence, yeah, it's sort of a loaded word, isn't it? Or a phrase. At its root, it's being intelligent about our emotions. But it goes beyond that, and we'll get into that. It's not just about our emotions. It's being intelligent about our inner experience, understanding what's happening for us internally um, over time. And so that's how I like to think about it. It's being smart, being intelligent about using our emotions or our inner life. What are some of the broad kind of competencies that fit within emotional intelligence? Like obviously empathy is one. What are the other kind of big headers? Right, yep. So there's many models, um, several models out in the world about emotional intelligence. Um, And so there's different schools of thought about, you know, what are the competencies, but I think we can safely sort of bucket them um, in the following way. The first is self-awareness or or self-reflection, as some models might say, and that is an understanding and and a tuning in and an understanding of who you are, you know, what's going on for you, thoughts, wants, feelings, um, how you're coming across. So a a bucket around self-awareness. The second bucket would be self-regulation. So do I understand and can I regulate or manage myself? Um, in different circumstances, with different people, um, that's that's a definitely a, a, an additional skill set or competence. And then, you, like you said, empathy is getting at my ability to relate to others, to read their emotions, to manage and you know navigate their emotional or inner landscape, if you will. So those are sort of three core capacities that I think are at the root of a lot of different models, even though the different models use different language. You've worked with so many people over the years, and I know you've worked with emotional intelligence in a really in-depth sort of way. Is there one area out of those three kind of competencies that is more often neglected? Hmm, I think likely, probably. I, I don't know statistically the answer to that question, but... What Just I, make it up. Yeah, sure. We'll see what's up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The I think more and more people are becoming aware 
I think in our workplaces, in our schools, certainly the self-help section at chapters, like there's a lot of books and, 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 and pointing at what's happening within us. I think there's still a lot of work to be done for people on how we regulate or manage ourselves. Um, and, and that uh, is coming from, like you say, a lot of work with people, particularly around EQ and, and coaching, uh, workplace challenges and, and, and relationship challenges. I think there's still this missing thing for a lot of people that tools and training around how to regulate and manage myself. I mean, we learn it partly because we're human and we and we grow and we age and we mature. And so we have different strategies that we develop over time. But there's something fascinating to me that that even people in their 40s and 50s and 60s that, that I get to coach with, um, and myself, I include myself in that, there's still this um, inability to really lock on to good practices and um, a sense of how to manage myself in those in those places where I'm um, wobbly, if you will, <laughs> in those places where I get triggered, in those places or those emotions that I'm not as comfortable with. And so I would say regulation, like self-regulation, is still territory that that there's work to be done. And um, that's partially why I have a job, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and partly why liquor stores are popular. Yes. Yes, indeed. Right? <laughs> Can you talk about some of those strategies that we should be using and, and not so much the alcohol? Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but a glass of wine here and there. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. Me yeah. too. So I think, yeah, if I, I think there's sort of foundational practices. And I think there are then almost situational practices. And around self-regulation, if you think about it, you look at our equipment. So it's our it's ourselves, right? Our body. And if it's it has to be well rested, you know, properly nourished and hydrated, um, cared for. Like there's some foundational things, and you see it in people who are ill, right? Or 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 having an injury, or um, new parents who aren't getting very much sleep per se, um, that, that that foundational place, it's very hard to go to that next level higher order practices when your foundations are, are um, under threat. So I think, you know, that goes without saying that, that there's got to be recognition that, that the state of your body is really important in those foundational pieces. The next layer up, I guess, is, is looking at if, if those things um, are, you know, working and being taken care of, that there's practices around in self-regulation around understanding what is literally physiologically and emotionally what is happening to me in those moments where I am having a reaction, big or small, and understanding the brain and the brain systems. So we have this thing called an amygdala, right? In in um, our, these tiny pea-sized um, amygdalae in our brain, it's it's sort of our emotional center. They call it. Um, and often when we're having a reaction or we're experiencing something, our body is just doing what it knows how to do, which is to, you know, release cortisol and, and other um, chemicals and, and um, hormones into our body. And that we are flooded. We're flooded with, with both chemicals um, and with, and then our big brain thoughts and emotions go with it. And whatever reaction we're having, whatever, you know, however we're um, responding to the, to the things that are happening, whatever they are, it's understanding that amygdala hijack, the arc of it, right? So that cycle of, oh my gosh, I'm having a reaction, knowing that <laughs> over time it's going to dissipate a little bit, but also understanding that whatever reaction I'm having doesn't mean I have to act it out. It also doesn't mean that that's how I'm going to stay. And so it's having some practices and strategies around what are my triggers? What are my typical response patterns? What does that feel like? What generally happens? What, what's working in that and what is not working in that? And then where you want to make changes, 
where you want to develop a different practice is to is to actually literally create um, prompts for yourself. So if you know your triggers, you know your typical reaction, your practice is, okay, I know that, that I'm going to be triggered in the future. How do I want to react? What, what would I like my emotional state to be? How do I want to think about that thing? So I set up a little bit of a, almost like a, a scaffolding for myself. And then comes the hard part, which is the practice. <laughs> because it's so easy when we are triggered, you know, if, if that's the sort of the area that we're talking about, to forget. Because our body is going into fight, flight, or freeze. Right? That's what the amygdala is sort of doing. And so we have to, what I often coach with people on is, let's rewrite your protocol. Right? So what's the trigger? What's your react your typical reaction? Let's rewrite that. What's a different thing you're going to say to yourself? What's a different thing you're going to physically do for yourself? What's a different emotion or set of emotions that you want to tap into or access? Right? How do you want that to play out? So it, with all of the coaching that I do, and, and particularly around emotional intelligence, it's, it's getting people back into their own body, back into their skin, back into the driver's seat. And if I have a protocol of how I'm going to do this, we're going to up the chances that I'm actually going to do it. What are some of those common triggers that folks experience? Oh, gosh, there's such a range. There's such a range. You think about yourself, right? Like different contexts, different environments bring out different kinds of triggers. So as you know, I'm working in an organization, um, a, a tech organization. And so uh, I get to work with a lot of professionals um, anywhere from the ages of 25 to sort of 45. Um, and so the workplace is my domain right now. And gosh, there's, it's just fraught with triggers. <laughs> so, and triggers can be self-perpetuated, as you probably know, or they can be things that occur around us, right, in, in the, our environment. And so if you think about, oh gosh, there's just, there's really subtle ones at work. Like if someone walks by and doesn't acknowledge me, that could be a trigger for people. Um, it can be not getting the promotion that you were put up for. It can be um, getting one more email request at the 11th hour from, you know, the other department and no time to do it in. Like there's just modern workplaces are fraught with with triggers, both external and internal. And so part of it, I think, is recognizing that that's what it is, that because of our fabulous big brains, we interpret like we're, we're meeting making machines. So anything that's happening around us or within us, we're always trying to make sense of it. And we have a tendency to spin up <laughs> and, and make assessments and conclusions and you know, interpretations of things, we can trigger ourselves all over the place again and again, even if that's not what's literally happening, right? Like, let's go back to my example. So let's say, you know, you, you say good morning to the boss as, as he's walking by and, and uh, he, he walks right by and doesn't look at you. Our immediate, you know, the trigger is, oh, he's mad at me or I've done something wrong. Or, oh, doesn't even know my name, whatever, right? We, we make it up because we have to make sense of the scenario. And so, you know, people um, certainly bring to coaching much more challenging triggers. I'm just using those as sort of some different examples. I think that identifying, yeah, what your patterns are, what your triggers are, and, and your typical responses is really powerful because then building that awareness, you start to build a different way that you're going to respond and, and regulate yourself. And, and I'm a big fan of, as you know, of, of really helping people to coach themselves through a lot of the challenges that they face. Um, and so that's, that's definitely something that, that we would work on together. If you could wave a magic wand and you could impact everybody in the world, hypothetically, and this is in regards to emotional intelligence, what trait or characteristic would you want to kind of impose on everybody? Ooh, gosh, the power of the wand. <laughs> <laughs> How fun would that be? I, I, it is something for me around mm, seeing our brain for what it is, 
because of the nature of how we make sense of the world, whatever's happening for us seems like reality, right? So our subjective reality is is the reality. If I and I realize that, you know, it's not unique to 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 coaching or or emotional intelligence. Like this is what the the Zen Buddhists have been trying to tell us for millennia, right? Is we are we are um, captive by our brains. We are we are tricked, basically. Like that, or how our how our equipment, how our brains run, is that we we get so caught up in thinking that whatever's happening is actually you know, is, is actually true that we forget that we have the power to frame it differently, to have a different narrative, to, to approach it differently. I mean, I, gosh, I think about these days with how divisive and how sensitive and how charged up, you know, the world seems to be around, you know, politics and, and what's happening in the world, what's happening in the States is that we, we get triggered and, all of a sudden we're in it and we, we don't, we don't see what we're doing. We don't see that we are, we're being sort of tricked by our brains to engage and, and fight or flight or freeze, you know, not realizing that we, if we could just slow down, hit a speed bump, say, Oh, that's just me reacting to that comment. That's me making that up. That's me going way overboard in my assessment or my conclusion of that, or my interpretation of that. And if, if, if I can wave a wand and have people, it's like seeing the inside of a CPU and going, oh, that's how it works. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if we could see inside of our own, you know, brain functioning, our own minds and understand that we're at the mercy of it. And so we have to, there's, there's, there's technique, there's tools, there's awareness to, to help us not be at the mercy of how our brains work. That's, I can think that's where I want to go with my magic wand. You've brought up some great recommendations already on what folks can do to improve their emotional intelligence. Is there anything else you wanted to add on if somebody's out there that, you know, it's something that they care about, that they want to get better in their emotional intelligence, but they're just not sure? What kind of steps should that person take? Yeah, there's a, there's a great book um, by a fellow named Mark Brackett. Um, and I believe it's called permission to feel. And he, he writes really beautifully and straightforwardly about like permission to recognize that we are emotional creatures, permission to feel the feels, permission to talk about it, permission to connect the dots between our emotional reactions to things and, you know, and, and, and then how it goes for us is to not, you know, ignore or, or, or pretend or shove away emotional reactions and, and those parts of us, but to actually bring them into the light and to be smart about it, to understand how it works, to see how emotions work with our other cognitive processes. So that's, um, you know, if, if folks want to read a bit more, it's, it's a very readable, very digestible um, book around emotional um, awareness and, and regulation. Another great book um, that I am um, go back to often is one called Insight by Tasha Urich. And she's done a really great job of breaking down self-awareness um, and that it's got an, an inner component, right? How I understand my own experience, you know, in my, you know, inside of me, and then how I'm coming across externally and the impact I have on others, so that outer awareness. So she breaks it into um, a nice, you know, understanding of inner and outer awareness. So those are some of the books, if if folks are interested. I think with, with, you know, one thing that would be interesting for people who are, you know, this is sort of a new territory for them, is I think it's just understanding that we that the, the inner world is not not to be feared. Maybe <laughs> that uh, you know be, different people have different growing up experiences, but but a lot of times those those parts of us are sort of shut down or denied, or or we 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 operate as if we don't have them, and so we don't really develop ways and strategies and and sophistication around our emotional health and fitness 
Um, and so maybe just a, um, um, a thought for, for folks as they, if they want to, you know, play around with this more is that the inner terrain is, is quite fascinating, right? It's, it's how I make sense of the world, my personality and temperament, um, my emotional blueprint, uh, my motivations, like that, that to, to be interested in my values, my value sets, right? What I, what I gravitate towards, what I, what I go away from that inner landscape is really worth exploring because it, it, it so informs what we get in life. <laughs> and so to, to, you know, and I don't think it has to be done all on your own. Like, I think it's really healthy to, you know, talk to a trusted friend or a family member to bring it to your workmates. If, if, if that's a place where you can do that, um, to explore it, um, so that you, you have a much better sense of how your equipment works rather, rather than it being a black box. Right. And my equipment doesn't work at all. So I'm just <laughs> trying to get past that Katie. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Long road ahead. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Is there any role for self-coaching in emotional intelligence or self-regulation? Absolutely. Well, if you think about it, like 99% of the time you are sort of managing yourself through all kinds of things, right? And I, I want to be careful. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't lean on professionals, therapists, advisors, coaches, bosses, teammates, you know, spouses, partners, of course, right? We're very social creatures. We need that. Um, so when I talk about self-coaching, it is, it's in the vein of wanting people to have strategies and practices so that they're not waiting to be helped. They can, they can help themselves as, as much as they possibly can, right? That they have ways of moving forward that don't require, oh, I have to read a book to, to figure this out, or um, I have to go to a program, right? That I'm, I'm always trying to equip people with um, tools and frameworks and, and, and protocols, I call them, right? Of, of, okay, when, you know, circumstances where um, I get triggered, you know, here's what I, here's how I'm going to practice um, showing up the way I want, right? Or um, if I find that, I'm not where I want to be in life, right? And it's and it's bringing me down. What are how will I set you know goal setting, right? And that's something you can do. Um, you can self coach on, right? Is direction setting and goal setting. So I think there is a lot of place for learning how to coach yourself. Discover your inner coach, right? That the, the all the thing the, the the things that I bring to our my coaching engagements, people can take with them. Right? And, 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 and adopt them and, and bring them into their lives and, and use them. And that over time, it, it becomes sort of part of their way, part of their how they regulate themselves. From an organizational standpoint, there's folks that listen that have founded organizations, are young entrepreneurs. When they're thinking about the organizations that they founded or started, or maybe it's somebody that's a part of an organization, how do we bake in emotional intelligence and the improvement emotional of emotional intelligence into our organizations Ooh, big that's a biggie there's <laughs> whole books written about that <laughs> but can you distill it into um 35 seconds yeah yeah can i just give the coles notes well i think there you know it's it's an interesting one because as an organization as an entity there's there's no eq of the organization right? It's, it's within the individuals that are in it. And so I think to educate and provide resources for individuals to get better at understanding those, those components of, of, of EQ. But I think there are things you can bring to your companies, right? Your, your departments, your teams. If you think about, you know, units of people, how they work together, you can bring be, be, you know, bring emotionality, bring inner territory, inner landscape into the the rituals and the practices and the ways that teams come together and do their work. Um, you know, some of the classic stories out there um, around, I think IDEO is the, is the company name, um, the design firm. 
they it's an intense creative innovative um, environment with a number of people from a bunch of different disciplines and it's an intense workplace right the, the process they use to to decipher um, you know user needs research innovate come up with new ideas like it's it's intense you know people have to come together and they, they get the best out of each other when they can be themselves when they can make mistakes uh, you know when they can um, you know correct each other um, and so they have an environment that's actually conducive to that so they expect that we're going to rub each other the wrong way they ex they want people to fight they want they want happy fights. They want candid, <laughs> you know, disclosure to each other. They want to to really bring out the real interesting ideas and and you know cut each other's ideas down. Not not people, but ideas, right? And so they their environment. If I think about you know companies, what they can do is is the environment conducive to what is needed? Is uh, you know are they are people allowed to, how, how are we teaching them to, to, to have good creative tension and debates? Um, are we, how are we setting them up to do that? Um, and acknowledging that, you know, for, for a leader on the team or anyone on the team, if, if, if they don't, you know, they don't want to just lay it all on the leader's um, shoulders, how do we, you know, create openings where people can talk about how they're feeling, what's going on for them, how they can, um, regulate together. So, gosh, there's nothing more powerful than, you know, when someone higher up in the organization uh, reveals their own emotional reaction to something, or or makes it totally okay for the group to say, "Wow, you know, we we totally failed. We 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 missed our deadline," and everyone's feeling really crappy about it. And it's okay for us to sort of take a minute and acknowledge that. Right. So it's, it's like what rituals and practices um, and processes do we have within our teams or our departments that acknowledge and make space for the whole person to come to work? What I want to be mindful of, like we don't want to it's not about sitting around all day and emoting all over each other right? <laughs> and, and and then just wallowing in it. Right. It's not about that. But the, the minute that we and you may personally feel this way too, Jared, the minute that you can sort of like identify what's going on for you and acknowledge it, it sort of diffuses it a little bit. And I think that's really true for teams and groups too, especially in intense work environments, right? We, if we can just sort of say, yeah, wow, I am stressed out. This is not going well. Okay. What do we, you know, how, what can we do to support you? Or, you know, what comes off this guy's plate because he's too busy or, wow, that's really crappy. You know, what can we do differently next time? You just, it's the very human part of the organization. And, and I think that in any place that I've worked um, as a consultant or as an employee, where I've seen that sort of team or group um, approach to acknowledging people's inner lives, <laughs> that, that performance is, is head and shoulders above places where that gets shut down and that's not acknowledged and we don't know how to work with it. What advice would you give for entrepreneurs, CEOs, founders of companies that want to instill that culture in their organizations? Yeah, I think it's like, you know, the, the old adage, get, get your mask on before you start helping other people. If the plane's going down. <laughs> Is the plane going down? <laughs> <laughs> way to think about it no so get, like get your own get your own stuff in order leaders like do the work <laughs> you know i appreciate that they are in, often in a role where they do have to think about the broader organization but but there's nothing more inauthentic than i think someone in a leadership role that's like okay everybody we're gonna we're gonna bring in social emotional practices that 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 uh, you can do to make yourselves feel better right it's like no, no, no. You got to do it too. You got to live it. You got to you got to learn a bit about this. You got to understand your own triggers and developmental edges. You got to have a way of uh, managing and regulating yourself under pressure, right? And and um, navigating some of the challenges that that starting a company uh, bring naturally. And so, 
that's 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 a biggie for me. Do your own work. <laughs> Um, another one would be just sort of what I was referring to prior, which is think about the environment that you are setting up for people to perform in. So, cause that's, that is the, the wheelhouse of the leader, right? Would they have all kinds of influence over the environment that they're setting up? You know, what, what's okay to talk about at work? What's not, you know, what, what resources are we making available for each other? Like it, it actually doesn't even matter what you do specifically. It's that you're doing something to honor that the whole person comes to work and that you have to find ways to allow people to talk about the real stuff that's going on for them and have, and have strategies and ways to help people, you know, regroup, reset, pick back up, you know, work through challenges with each other. And then often that falls to the human resources part of the organization, but it's not just their job, right? It's, it's, it's because we're all human, as far as I know, <laughs> we can all do this stuff. But yeah, leaders thinking about getting your own stuff in order and thinking about the environment that you're creating for people to show up and perform in. And, and are we creating ways for you know, people to express themselves and then learn how to cope and carry on. Outside of some of those things that we've already discussed, is there any other tactical strategies you would recommend for folks who want to improve their EQ? Well, as you know, Jared, you can take an assessment and <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there are several out there. Um, often they have to be administered by uh, a certified practitioner. Um, so, and, you know, you can Google and, and look around. There's a couple different ones you can do. I think that is a great way to get, get going, right? And to sort of start to understand it from a very personal perspective. Start with yourself um, and understand the construct and start to develop some, you know, often what happens comes through an assessment um, and a debrief is that you start to see sort of where you're strong or where you're already developed and where your gaps are, where you're maybe blind spots or where you're underdeveloped. Uh, and that's the same for EQ. And so rather than try to fi do it all, fix it all, be, be the whole construct, like be, you know, fully you know, emotionally intelligent all the time in every circumstance, that's a pretty lofty goal, right? I would break it down and choose, you know, and again, it's, if it's through an assessment, fantastic, or if it's through some work that you're doing in some other way to, to recognize that of those components, self-awareness, self-regulation, um, empathy, or, or relationship management, um, you know, if you look at, pick one, right? And, and say, okay, where, where do I think working on this would make a difference for me? And how can I go about sort of crafting some, some practices or some um, attention on that? Uh, and again, having a, a, a trusted friend um, or someone in your organization um, or a coach to partner with you so that you can over time, because this stuff doesn't change overnight, right? It takes work. And, and so having a focus to that work is really helpful instead of just trying to be more emotionally intelligent. It's too broad. It's too general. Because I was kind of just hoping that I could sit back and, and not do anything and my emotional intelligence would improve, but I'm getting the sense that that's not the case. <laughs> well, I have this USB key. If we'll just plug that into your brain. <laughs> <laughs> and Katie referenced a, an assessment and I just went through this and Katie was nice enough to walk me through it. And it was one of the most valuable things I've done in a long time because it kind of shows you where are the areas where you can do better and it gives it puts a number to it. And I think that it's really actionable. And so for anybody out there interested, you know, I, I would second what Katie has said just from my own experience. And of course I'm not a coach and I'm not an expert in emotional intelligence, but I know that it's been very meaningful for me. So thank you for that. Switching over to mental toughness. I think this is a topic that has become really popular. We, you know, we're not all Navy SEALs, but there is an interest in learning how they get so mentally tough. How does somebody know 
if they are mentally tough or not? Yeah, great question. Because um, it, it's it's an, yet another construct, right? And and so there are different ways of thinking about this, and it's it's not an airtight, bulletproof way. But the best way I can think about it is 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 maybe answering the question for yourself: Am I thriving? in my current circumstances? Like, am I coping well with the demands of my current circumstances? Like you say, whether that's a Navy SEAL, an emergency room doctor, a first-year student, a new parent, a new president of a company, you know, look at the, 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 the stresses, the demands in whatever your circumstances are and say, okay, am I, am I thriving? Am I, am I coping well? Am I Am I staying with it? And that probably is the answer to your question of of am I mentally tough or not, so, or mentally strong or not? Because it's it's sort of circumstantial. It's sort of situational. Can you speak to the four C's of mental toughness? Mm-hmm. What are they? Yeah, yeah. So again, there's there's different models. This model um, I'm more well versed in, um, and this comes out of <clears throat> a company called AQR in the UK. Um, that has spent, you know, many years developing their their model around mental toughness, um, and so that's the one that again I'm I'm trained in, so I can t- speak to that. Um, the four C's and models love to have words matching, so <laughs> they worked hard to do that. Yeah, um, the four C's are control, commitment, challenge, and confidence. And just just a word about how they got to that, right? It, it it this model has been built up over the years through a lot of empirical research around taking that concept or construct from the world of sport, um, typically elite sport um, and sports psychology, and and trying to bring it into the domain of the average person. Um, and so. Um, I have been involved in helping run, um, getting the the uh, people required to run and, and uh, test uh, this construct uh, on people. And so um, it's been wild to see it grow over the years. It, it used to be three C's, now it's four C's. And there's two, um, two factors, two dimensions within each of the C's. Do you want me to walk through them, Jared? Or Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So control, um, just as it sounds, there's there's two, basically efficacy, right? That I, life control, I believe I can shape and influence what happens in my life, agency. The other dimension is emotional control. And that's just what we've been talking about, right? That I can manage, I'm aware of, and I can manage my own emotions and others' emotional landscapes. So that's control. Um, commitment is basically tenacity. It's the ability to set goals, a willingness to set. And if, you know, not everyone is big on particular like goals per se, but I can set direction. I can, you know, set aims for myself. And then the second dimension is that I can actually follow through. I find a way, right? I do what it takes to achieve that goal. So that's commitment. Confidence is you know self-belief and there's two two dimensions there one is confidence in my abilities so i know what i'm capable of and the second one is interpersonal confidence so i can influence others as much as they influence me so it's relative to other people and then the last piece is the part that really sets mental toughness or mental strength apart from resilience and other um, like hardiness and, and other constructs challenge. So this, this is how, when people have said they are, you know, mentally strong, they have the ability to like take risk. They will put themselves into scenarios where they have to perform or they have to learn or they're out of their comfort zone, right? That I will push myself. So that's stretching oneself is is the first dimension under challenge, and the second one is is how is how they what they take from those experiences that they wring the learning out of it. 
both the good and the bad. So that they see the way they, they either naturally or by training, the way they start to see the world is whatever happens, I can learn something from it. Right, and that might line up with what you know about optimism. So that certainly figures in here. But those, yeah, so th that combination, those four C's, so those with, with, with the two dimensions in each, are what um, AQR has developed as their model of mental toughness. That if you score highly in all of those areas, that, you know, you are more mentally strong. How do we build that strength? Ooh, good question. Because that was the big thing back in probably the seventies when they started to study this in 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 the world of sport was: Are you just born with it, or can you develop it? <laughs> I guess that should have been my first question. <laughs> well, yeah, right. It's 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 a good one. I think through all the research that I've done and and my own practices, my own experience with this is that there are there are aspects that you sort of come into the world with that can set you up well for this. Um, and there's things you can do to build it, just like emotional intelligence, right? We can we can develop these capacities, but but we have to work at it. And so your question of well, how does a person go about about doing that? Well again, like instead of leaving it as a general large bucket, like how do I be more mentally strong? Let's break it down. Like, what, you know, when you look at those, you know, if we're going to use the four C's, like chances are you're, you're sort of well-developed in some of those areas and less so in others. So the question becomes, well, is my, would I, would it behoove me <laughs> to, to take one of those areas where I'm less developed and, and just work on that? And I find that as I work with folks um, in, in the world that I'm in right now, in this tech organization, um, that there's a lot, well, so the, the organization has, it's a, it's a younger demographic. So a lot of people coming in, it's their sort of their first job, first professional job, maybe out of school or, or second job uh, in their career. And confidence, confidence is low, right? There's, there's a lot to learn in a, in a SaaS company. Um, and then all the people around you seem to know what they're doing. Um, and so there's, there's that self-belief is, is, can be really take a hit when you are early days in your career. And so we work on um, aspects of confidence that, and, and as we know, confidence, you don't just will it into being, you, you have to go do stuff <laughs> and, and uh, see what you're capable of and, and come through it, right. And realize that, that you're capable and that you can do it. Um, and so that that's the focus of how we coach around, okay, confidence. You know, what are you going to practice? Where are you going to do that? Where, where will you get feedback from? Um, how, you know, how, how far out of your comfort zone do you want to go on that? And so same question or same answer as before, pick choosing an aspect and then, and then actually really doing a bit of a deeper dive into you know, finding ways to practice it in your everyday life. And I'm really big on the doing because it's, it's one thing to know something. It's something else entirely to, to do it. Right. And so talking about confidence is interesting, but that's not going to get you there. <laughs> so we gotta, we gotta get you doing things that let you have a lived experience. So you can come out the other side and you know, be able to say, okay, that this worked, this didn't, as you probably know, Jared, like you think back in your, in your life, the things that you're good at now, you weren't 10 or 20 years ago, you had to, you had to develop practice, right? And that confidence comes from that. It's a byproduct of taking action. Outside of taking action, how else do we build self-confidence? Underneath self-confidence is self-belief. And so, you know, self-belief is something that ideally is, is relatively steady through our lives. And so, but, but yet um, there are places and, and times where we are less confident and places and times where we are more confident. That might be an interesting exercise for folks to do is to sort of almost lay out where do I feel quite confident in myself and in my life? 
where do I not? Right, and and what's the difference? So it's a little bit of a of a of a self-reflection exercise. What's different between those places where I feel confident and those that I don't? And that might also bring some insight and places where people can go in terms of like developing it in themselves, working on it in themselves. I think part of it too is that what I see in the workplace, and I'd be curious if, if this is true from your perspective too, is coming, again, coming into an organization, particularly more so in our the early part of our career, for some wacky reason, we, we compare ourselves to others who have a lot more experience than we do, or that are doing things that we'd like to do. And we have this strange thing that we do as human beings, we compare ourselves, and that seems to take away our confidence because then we think, well, I'm not as good as she is at that, or, you know, I can't do what he's doing. And so I think actually comparing ourselves to others is a confidence killer. <laughs> and to be mindful of when and how you do that, compare yourself to others. I've had to, through some of my coaching engagements, really break that attention that some people have on others. It's it's an unfair unnecessary comparison and that really eats away at people's confidence and so maybe that's something that would be interesting for for your listeners to consider as well you spoke about comparing and the good news on my end is that i only watch intervention and compare from there ah. if you remember that show um, about folks that had to have interventions so you're like you're doing well then i'm doing right? really well yeah things are looking up for jer <laughs> <laughs> that's that's another strategy just you know <laughs> yeah oh gosh turning totally away from that of course it sounds great to improve mental toughness is there any flip side is there any negatives that improving mental toughness might make you weaker in another area yeah yeah there's there's some research on that and and I think intuitively we could take this to its extreme like if someone is very mentally strong meaning they are you know very very confident in control they know how to set commitments and follow through they are they they see challenge as as opportunity um they go all in you know if <laughs> overdone you can you, you can lose your sensitivity to to others situations you could you could reduce your own empathy towards others um i certainly honestly have seen that in myself so as i've worked away um i think naturally i have some traits that have helped me um operate as a as a mentally strong person and i've also worked on it because it's been an area of study for many years for me um there are times when I really have to catch myself uh, when people are in a state <clears throat> where they are feeling quite done to. They're feeling a bit like a victim. Um, I noticed my inner dialogue is, you know, snap out of it. You're not a victim. Get over it. Come on. <laughs> right. And so I think, you know, that's you know one little example of where if we just focus on mental toughness and we lose our ability to empathize tune into um you know feel for or adapt to what other people need i'm yeah that could be problematic so i think there is a a, a place to be integrating like how mentally tough do I need to be from my circumstances? Because I think there's a real beauty to people who are very mentally sensitive, which you could say is the opposite, right? They, the gifts that they have are much more tuned in <clears throat> to their own, um, you know, maybe shortfalls or, or, or um, weaknesses and those of others. And so, yeah, we don't want to all be robots, right? And like, <laughs> you know, hardened, <laughs> overly, um, you know, steamroll over people. We want to, we want to sustain and 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 keep that empathetic 
part of who we are as humans as well. So that would be maybe one caution that I have. Would you speak to your own areas of self-development within mental toughness? Where have you had to grow the most? Great, great question. So this was part of my uh, master's studies. So this is going back some years now when I sort of became introduced to this model. And yeah, as I look at, and I'll use the four C's model just because we've already talked about that and, and have a bit of a sense of what that means. Um, I would say around the challenge and commitment side of, of the of the four C's. So uh, I feel like confidence and control, I've had much more practice, um, more opportunity to practice, more awareness around that, and more of a, um, an affinity to those. So I felt like those I had sort of had that going on for me when I started working on this, but around commitment, um, and this is how this is so fascinating because at the time I had just come back from my maternity leave. I'd had my second son, um, and our firm had tripled in size. We'd moved locations. We had opened three new offices. I came back to a whole new set of strangers, <laughs> um, lovely people, but I, I didn't know them, right? I was given one of our biggest clients um, and I was still adapting to, you know, leaving my son with a caregiver and like I was in an interesting place and I found myself um, not setting very um, lofty goals. I was playing it very safe. I was just trying to keep my head above water in my life. Um, and I noticed I was, I had taken a hit um, to my ability to sort of set more, I don't know, more challenging goals, more like head into things that I didn't know. I was really, like I said, playing it safe. I was sticking with the kinds of things that I knew how to do. Um, I wasn't uh, jumping at the chance to work with different clients or take on work that I thought would be um, outside of my wheelhouse. And so I you know I had to work very specifically on, you know, coming, seeing, seeing it for what it was. So allowing myself to step back and see that, that that's what was happening for me. And part of it was, again, circumstantial, like that, you know, my life had I was going through a big transition. Um, and so it's not about boiling the ocean or, you know, changing it all overnight, but it is saying, okay, so, you know, why, why would I want to get better at these, at these dimensions? Like what, what's, what's in it for me? Why would I want to get better at um, setting some more lofty goals and then going after them? Why would I want to stretch myself outside my comfort zone when I'm so stretched already? So I had to sort of, have a little, you know, <laughs> to come to come to Jesus talk with myself and say, well, what, you know, what really, what really matters here? And, and, and I, I did want to stretch professionally. I did want to take on different assignments because if, as you know, right, if we stay with the same things, we get really good at those things, but we never really grow. And so I had, to, you know, I worked with a coach. Um, I had to get some things off my plate so that I could focus on this. Um, I partnered with some of the consultants in areas where I was underdeveloped so that I could watch them and learn from them. Um, I had to get some help on the home front so that I wasn't so stretched so thin. So all those strategies, some were mental, some were emotional, and some were sort of structural, if you will. So that's, yeah, that's, you know, some, an example of sort of how I've used that and where I've used that in my own development. Thank you so much for your vulnerability and sharing that. It's appreciated, and I think it lends a, a more personable touch to this whole discussion. F finishing off on this topic of mental toughness, is there any literature you'd recommend to listeners? There is tons. Um, I think one of the best books um, is written, again, by the folks in the UK that I mentioned earlier. It's called Developing Mental Toughness. And the authors are Doug Strycharzik, and I can we can I can send that to you so that you can put it in your show notes. <laughs> we'll leave um, that one out. Yeah, yeah, and Peter Clough, and yeah, because they are they they were really pioneers in in um, in addition to a, an individual named Graham Jones in porting 
this this the construct and uh, out of sports psychology into like everyday um, like workplace and and everyday life. So they're they're I I feel like they're a real go to um, to help explain the you know how this works and and how to how to develop it. I'd like to transition here in the last couple of minutes to a topic that we've beat around the bush a little bit. A lot of these topics have been about interpersonal relationships, and I know you do a lot of work in the team coaching space. I'm wondering, how would an organization, (laughs) it's a really hard question to answer in a couple of minutes, but how would they, in a perfect world, what would that organization do if they wanted to generally improve the performance of their teams? Yeah, yeah. If I could answer, <laughs> I do. How rich I would be. No, oh, no, yes. No. Well, there's a couple of things we, we could point to, right? I think, and I don't know if this is going to be earth shattering or not, but the, I think we're getting better in, in, in our, in the world of work and understanding what, what actually helps teams perform together well. And, and, call it team literacy, call it understanding team effectiveness. Like, I think we're starting to get better at, at understanding those, those like what helps and what, what gets in the way. But that's, that's an important one. You can't just huck a bunch of people in a room, good people in a room and just believe that they'll figure it out. Like some do, but there's, there's conditions that, that help teams, you know, perform better together. There is, you know, half half the battle, in my opinion, is also how the team is designed, like how you're designing the work that they're going to do and who's on the team. Part of our challenge, I think, in, in the world of work, the way, you, you know, in the North American style anyways, as far as I know, is we sort of just take what we get. We We often don't think really strategically about how we set up a group or a team to tackle a, a a project or or a department, because oftentimes as companies get going, a couple of years in, they've they've got you know these groups and teams that they've set up. Of course, there's always people coming and people leaving, but they sort of don't after the initial setup don't really think about it again. They just sort of bring people in and and like I said, people go, and they don't think about stepping back and saying, okay, whoa, like how are we setting this group up to, to succeed? I mean, do they have a purpose? Do they know what that purpose is? Have we got the right people on the team? Have we got them set up with norms and processes that, that are appropriate for what they're doing? Um, do, do we have, do they have clear um, bridges built with their stakeholders? Do they even know who all their stakeholders are? Like we just, we go, we move the pace of work. We move so quickly that we don't, we don't tend to sort of step back and have a good look at a team. We, when there's problems, we tend to look at individuals and say, ah, you know, it's so-and-so's fault or the problem is in the person. And often with team effectiveness, yes, people can be prickly or not a great fit, but it's the, the, the problem is often in the connective tissue it's either in how the team was set up, uh, the, how the work has been designed. Um, too many stakeholders, frankly, that's that's a challenge that, that most companies have. And um, we, you know, we don't think about sort of looking at the team in that more holistic way. And so, h- how do we get better? Well, we got to understand like team literacy. What what helps them? What gets in the way? Right. Do we, how have we helped the group come together to figure out some of this stuff? Right. How have we helped the system sort of see itself? So those are some of the things that I would point to. And and certainly, of course, that's why um, I get to do the, the, the team coaching is to set the container where we can examine and work on these things Um because typically people don't have that as a, as a lens on, on team functioning. And how important do you think the safety levels between team members are 
in relation to the overall success of that team. And what do you mean by safety, like psychological safety? Yeah, like how psychologically safe folks feel with each other. Oh, yeah, it's it's a biggie. Um, and, and again, we have to be careful, right? Because everybody's a bit different on that front. Some are more sensitive than others. Some need different things to, to feel safe, to feel um, vulnerable, to feel seen and heard. So we can't, you know, assume that everyone's the same. But I think if we, a lot of teams, certainly that I work with, and I, and again, I'd be curious what your experience is, a lot of them, yes, they have leaders, but a lot of teams are self-organizing. They're, they're in our flat organizations, it's not like teams have a lot of supervision. They often have to figure out themselves how to set their targets, how to organize themselves, how to, you know, set up their norms, how to manage the 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 problems that inevitably come up um and so the, the the teams that seem to do well have a way of being candid with each other and real with each other and if in order to be real there's got to be some trust there's got to be some it's got to be okay to you know say to each other look we are this isn't going well or I need more from you or, Hey, I need help. Right. Like to, to the, the real stuff that we sort of alluded to earlier in our conversation. And so building trust and psychological safety allows teams to come together and like help, like move through the shit faster <laughs> <laughs> because there's nothing worse than a team that's, you know, not doing well in some way. And they need a whole bunch of other people to come and intervene to fix it or, you know, a bunch of crises have to happen in order for them to get the help they need, right? Like it's really powerful when a team can look at themselves and say, whoa, you know, hey guys, like what's, what's, we are dropping the ball here or we're overwhelmed. How are we going to manage that? And, you know, it's for, it's, it's a great sort of sign of, of team maturity when the group can be vulnerable with each other, not again, to sort of, open the kimono and just emote all over the place, but more to, to accelerate the path through the issue, the real issues. And so, yeah, it's, it's, I love that opportunity when I'm working with, with teams to develop norms around trust and safety, not because it's, you know, warm and fuzzy, but because it actually means they're going to be more effective together in the long run. Is there any question anything that you wish that I had asked you that I didn't or maybe just even a message you, you want to end on hmm. or nothing at all <laughs> oh here's a thought for you so uh um a while back there was a, a a bus advertisement um from the dairy farmers of Canada and it said it said um strong people get more out of life and so I've I've co-opted that and I and I say mentally strong people get more out of life. <laughs> uh, that's my my uh my PSA for for today. Um and that it's it's yeah, it's it's not about being aggressive or unaffected or uncaring. I think it's about, you know, for all of us and and EQ is sort of part of that 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 mental strength, right? Is being adaptive and flexible and aware and having tools and strategies and ways to to help ourselves as we go through this crazy modern life like it's 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 way more the world that we have created for ourselves with complexity and challenges and it's more than the human brain and spirit can typically sort of cope with at any given time and so i yeah i i hope that that folks have found will find this interesting and and that it's not about being yeah impervious to the world it's actually about being strong within the, the the world that as it's occurring and that there's there's just i hope may i hope that people find this hopeful that there are ways to get better at that to develop that in themselves in their families in their teams um and that they'll get more out of life if they do so <laughs> 
that is just an excellent message of hope. And let's leave it there, Katie. I want to thank you so deeply for the time that you've given and um, for all of the help that you've personally given me. I know that there's so much value in what you've said today, and I'm just really excited to dive deeper into these topics myself. So thank you so much for joining us, Katie. And for the listeners, if you want to learn more about Katie, you can find her personally on LinkedIn at Katie Wyka, W-Y-K-A. Katie, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. If you like this episode, you might also like episode number five with Chris Salmon, where we talk about mental models and finding meaning in life. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please stay tuned for more stories from successful entrepreneurs, artists, influencers, and sports and medical moguls. Please know that I've got your back and the world needs you to go out there and create, innovate, and iterate. If you like this episode, then please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. You can also find Strive Accelerator on Instagram at Strive Accelerator and find show notes and all of our free content on our website at striveaccelerator.com. I always want to hear feedback from listeners, so please shoot me an email at jared at striveaccelerator.ca.